this is an absolute blessing to be able to do this, um, just to get out the door every day. So many people who can't. And believe me, even in the darkest times, we can draw from the people around us. The human connection is so valuable. It's a power that we can tap into that will sustain us. It's, it's just such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful thing. When we all get together and we race and we celebrate life and we celebrate achievement, yeah, it gives me, it gives me goosebumps, man. I mean, <laughs> it's awesome. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 105 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Meet Alan Diaz, former real-life rock star, bass guitarist, and songwriter for Public Image Limited. After 20 years of touring, that performing, partying lifestyle had taken a big toll on him, and he finally stepped away for health reasons. He came back stateside, walked into a bike shop, bought a bike, started riding again, and reconnected with his love of motion. That inexplicable feeling when propelling yourself forward through space and time. Did a trail duathlon and fell back in love with running after a 20-year break. That began an incredible endurance athletics journey for Alan, immersing himself deeply into the rituals of training and mindset, focused on pursuing his best. Alan had freakish running range. He ran a 68-second 400 meters to place third at Masters Nationals in March of 2022 and followed that up with a 350-406 marathon at Bay State, a 25-minute BQ at age 71 on October 16, 2022. We took a deep dive into how qualifying for Boston meant so much and how he tapped into that in his training and on race day to make that dream come true. How grateful and blessed he feels to still be out there competing, running to inspire and giving back to the endurance sports community that has given him so much. Alan has also competed at the highest levels in cyclocross, mountain biking, road cycling, and once ran 65 miles on his 65th birthday. I'm blessed to call Alan a friend and supportive CPTC teammate. So grateful to him for coming on and sharing so much positive energy and wisdom from his inspiring journey. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Good afternoon, Alan Diaz. Welcome to Run Chats of Ron Runs NYC. How are you, my brother? I'm fine, thanks. Thank you for having me here. Man, this is so fun to get you out here. My Central Park Track Club teammate, Total Boss, just won an award for uh, his age group at our award ceremony. And we've been threatening to do this convo for a while. We finally got a chance to pull the timing together. And he's a great sport and came out from Connecticut to hang with me and Weehawken on the home base. And uh, we're going to chop it up today, man. It's going to be fun. That's great. I'm all set. <laughs> Good deal. So, Alan, give uh, the Run Chats audience a little background on yourself. Where'd you grow up? What's family life like as a kid? Well, I grew up in Stratford, Connecticut, and uh, with my grandmother. And so I had uncles around me, as well as my dad. And uh, they were pretty athletic, so I grew up playing baseball and football, 
running around the park and uh sports minded you know what i mean and uh yeah it was great it was great i had a lot lot of examples to look up to because of my uncles and kids in the neighborhood awesome athletic sports background no shock there um and grew up in connecticut and what about siblings brothers sisters yeah i got two sets one on my mother's side one's on my father's side yeah okay it's great i'm in the middle you're in the middle i love it as a middle child we we love it we're uh we're trying to keep everybody at peace or trying to convince everybody to come to our side uh it's a good life skill how about them are they athletic your brothers sisters siblings athletic play sports not particularly no they're um yeah for the most part i have a brother who's uh one of my brothers is into karate. Yeah, so he's more than a black belt. I can't even remember. He's been doing it for years. So, yeah, brother Steven. Cool. Very cool. And uh, influenced uh, your uncles. They were athletic. They were sports-minded. Yeah, my youngest uncle, who was probably just 10 years older than me, he was a very early influence. He played football and basketball um, and encouraged me. And supported me in, you know, Little League and Pop Warner football. And, um, yeah, he was always there. So it was a great example, um, very positive. And so that set me up to try to excel, do my best, you know, get the most out of what I could do. I was a fast little kid, but uh, I was little. So basketball and football eventually was a no-go for me, and that's when I started running. Yeah, similar similar for me. I love the contact sports, and I love them <clears throat> with all my heart because I like to compete and do the rough stuff, but eventually kids are literally triple your size. Um, when you're in Pop Warner and it's like weight limit, you can still roll with it, but as you get to high school and other stuff, it can be can be tricky for sure, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crushing because, you know, I played Little League up until – I think I got hit in the back with, I slid into home plate, the kid threw the ball from the outfield, it hit me right square in the back, and, and I don't think it bounced. And I was a pitcher, it took the wind out of my sails, then I started getting a little bit ball shy, you know what I mean, on the pitcher's mound. So that kind of went by the wayside. I still had football, Pop Warner, and I was fast, but I was little, and I can remember as a sophomore in high school because in those days we went to junior high till seventh eighth and ninth grade so 10th grade i went out for football and so the coach you know he's got the list of names he's going alan dyas he goes yeah you come from a good football playing family jamie and armando but i'm sorry you're too small and i was crushed he and he said um you should think about going out for cross country. And I'm like, what is that? You know? And uh, oddly enough, um, I went out for cross country that fall, made the team and never looked back and discovered running in a serious way. Yeah. So that's where the first seed was planted. It usually starts similar for almost everybody who's on my show. Um, at some point they discover they're not great with ball sports or they're not the right size profile to be really competitive or just they are struggling and they're not very good. And a coach is frank enough and honest enough 
to basically tell you, hey man, you're not big enough or whatever, try out for cross country. So we're lucky to get coaches who will be honest and frank. In today's uh, world we live in, people are so damn worried about being politically correct and, and being honest about stuff. You wonder if that could even go on today with a coach. Well, you know, nowadays it's a completely different thing than this was the 60s when I came up. So things were still pretty rough and rugged, you know, but he was brutally honest. He was a very successful coach and the team was pretty successful in the you know, scholastic area in those days. But um, yeah, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. You know, um, I discovered running and it became a passion and just the sense of freedom when you just, the legs are moving and you're flying through the woods. I mean, I fell head over heels across country. And then, you know, it was introduced to track. I was a miler, you know, okay, 436 in high school, two miles. But cross country, that really set me up for the love of running. And still to this day, when I mountain bike and trail run, I still feel like that kid in the early days, you know? You reconnect with your youth, man. It, it brings you back. It brings you back to that place and time of what it felt like. Um, the first time running on a cross-country course. It's not like running a road race, a 5K, an indoor race. Uh, there's just something really liberating about taking off into the woods and blasting out onto a trail and losing sight of where the course is going to go, or maybe even the other runners, which is so different from how we run a regular race, you know, running around Central Park. I mean, you still see the pack. You still have touch with people versus cross country where, boom, if that first group gets out, you know, you might even lose touch, right? Well, it's a thing of you're more racing the course or as well as racing, you know, the competitors. So, you know, when you see those climbs and you attack them, it's to me, it just, uh, it's invigorating, you know. Uh, obviously, it's hard. Like Van Cortland, that's a tough course. But, man, it's great when you when you hit it right. Yeah, well, Vanny is like hollowed ground. I yeah. mean, every great runner that's ever competed at the highest level in high school or college has run at Van Cortland. Um, so the course may have changed over time, um, whether you're a high school runner or a college runner, but overall, most of those times and records still hold up. So a runner could compare themselves, a team could compare themselves to other great teams of the past and see how they stack up, which as we runners know, we live for that stuff, man. We want to see how we compare and benchmark against other athletes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So, but I mean, even though Pop Warner didn't work out because <laughs> of size or other sports, you're still running. I mean, so obviously you're running around. You're the typical kid. I mean, that's where you kind of develop some endurance and just like a love of the outdoors. So that kind of springs you in when the coach tells you, hey, cross country and you get into it. And now in your, you know, later years as a master's athlete, I mean, man, you've taken this thing in all kinds of directions. I mean, you were a seriously competitive cyclist, you know, road cycling, off-road cycling, whatever all the correct terms mm -hmm. are for that. So, yeah. I mean, you've experienced it from all ends and it keeps you young, man. Look at you, man. You look like a champ. You look as fit as can be. The people in my building said, that dude looks like he's 45 years old, man. So the people in my building were giving you the love before we sat down for the chat. But it's the same thing. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, it's still all the same thing. You know, I can remember 
running around the field. We had a field alongside the school, and it was the baseball field. It was our kind of unorganized football field. And just run, run, run. You know, I would leave the house in the morning on a Saturday morning and run and run all day. And then we got bikes and we would ride. And it was just, it was part of the lifestyle. And to me, that motion, being in motion, that freedom of propelling yourself, whether it be on two feet or on a bicycle, you know, it's, it's who I am. It's where I came from. And it's something that's still... I feel young and like that kid all the time. Beautiful. Love it. And who were some big influences for you, like say in your high school years, you know, as you got into cross country and found that you really enjoyed it and then got introduced to track. You said you did the mile, the two miles, stuff like that. Who yeah. are some influences on you, either other athletes on the team or a coach or even professionals maybe that you were learning about reading? Who were some people that had an impact? Yeah, Ron. Um, well, first of all, I think my cross-country coach, who was the track coach as well, uh, Albert Sensi, um, he was a fun guy, encouraged us, taught us a lot of basics in terms of calisthenics. We used to call them Swedes, things like that, which I still remember to this day. But he was very enthusiastic and not really a disciplinarian and very encouraging and so I think I got off to a good start. Um, things in those days were not as technical as they are now with, you know, having to run splits and particular workouts. I mean, I can't exactly remember those workouts, but it was always fun. Um, Jim Ryan was a big influence on me as a miler in those days. He was the main guy. And... Uh, yeah, we all we all <laughs> used to try to run like him. You know, totally a, a major influence. Yeah, good stuff. And um, as you are making your way through high school, leading into your college, you know, where does running really become? It it grabs that hold of you. I always feel like at some point it grabs a hold of us, and then it just like pulls us in, and it becomes like our life passion at some point. It's clearly both of our life passion now to stay healthy and fit and strong. But at what point does it really grab you? You know, is it when you go off to college and run there and make it as a walk-on or is it in the high school years? Like where is it really firmly like kind of grab hold? I think I'd have to say it was cemented in those early high school years. I ended up at Villanova, not necessarily by choice because it wasn't my first college choice. I wanted to go to General Motors Institute of Technology, study automotive engineering. That was my passion. But through a series of events, I think being misinformed by my guidance counselor or somebody dropped the ball, I don't really remember exactly, but I didn't have the right electives to go to, the, to apply to that school. So a friend of the family's was a football player at Villanova and it was suggested to me that I should maybe apply. Anyway, I applied. I got to Villanova knowing it was a very prominent track and cross-country school. They were number one in the country then. You know, Marty LaCroix was there, Larry James, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I 
I was accepted to the team as a walk-on. I made it. I made the cut. I think I was seventh or eighth freshman, you know. So that was pretty exciting. But I don't think I took running so seriously at that time as I do now and eventually did. But, you know, getting to uh, be in the company of real world-class athletes did have an effect on me. Sure, there were some great guys there. And um, being in the walk-on, I maybe not got the treatment as some of the scholarship kids, you know, so I was overlooked. I mean, but I hung in there. You know, I went from whatever I was running in high school, I don't remember the mileage, to like 70 miles a week. And it was as a freshman. So there were long runs. I got introduced to that. And, you know, um, yeah, I think that stuck with me for sure until this time now yeah yeah so much is changing you know you you're uh you get dumped off on a campus you're away from home for the first time you're competing with other athletes you know and everybody's trying to get to some level and you know in high school a competitive runner might have been running 30 miles a week back then you know maybe 40 um you'd have to be in a real running city or a running town with real history to have been running more than that most kids we're playing other sports and just running whenever track practice was or indoor, outdoor, or, or cross country. I mean, they're not running a lot of miles. It's very different than today where kids are running crazy amounts of miles and taking on way more. Um, so I think um, to all of a sudden ramp up to 70 miles a week, it's huge. I mean, that's a huge load. If you didn't have your course load, if you weren't adjusting to being on a campus and being away from home for the first time. So I mean, that had to be tough, right? Adjusting yeah. to that? Yeah, there was a lot going on. And, um, you know, growing up in Connecticut, certainly in Stratford, where I grew up, you know, we heard about Newington and these other running powerhouses, you know, where Amby Burfoot and Bill Rogers came from in Connecticut. Um, you know, I would hear about these things, but it was... So far, you know, we didn't have the information or the setup as as we have now. So it was completely different. And when I went to Villanova, it was really organized and set up. And um, because I was a walk-on, maybe I didn't get all the information, but certainly, you know, working under Coach Pyra, I certainly was introduced to the regiment and, you know, specific workouts. But to me, it was just fun. You know, I mean, I made the Villanova team, and that was awesome. But, you know, I was coming of age. I had left home. I was on campus, and there were a whole lot of other things going on, you know, with the studies. So it did make a lasting effect on me, but I don't think um, at the moment I didn't realize what I was getting, you know. It, but it came to life afterwards, I think you know, in my later years when I rediscovered running. Yeah. I mean, it's to make it as a walk-on at Villanova, like that's they're literally in their heyday. I mean, Marty LaCore, I mean, this is like the, some of the best milers that ever came through there. And the, the amount of milers who came through there from around the world, I mean, great Irish runners, every, you know, people would head to Villanova to run track, to run cross country, you know, to get that kind of experience. So, yeah, there were, yeah. I'm sorry. So, yeah, Dick Berkeley, there's just tons of guys. It was awesome. And the kids who were on scholarship, these freshmen, 
were the best of the best in the country. A lot of, you know, hurdlers, 400 guys. You know, I mean, these guys were smoking. And uh might have been intimidating, but they accepted me, and I was just like any other kid. I just wasn't on scholarship. Yeah, but somewhere in there, probably 20, 30 years down the road, at somewhere as you're processing and you're deconstructed all, there's a lot of lessons in there, man. I mean, you figured out I could make this team, you know, as a walk-on. I mean, dude, that's impressive as hell. I mean, that's not like showing up at some D3 school that has no running history. This is one of the top running programs in the country year after year from when you were there all the way up through today. I mean, they are still a powerhouse, still recognized as one of the top programs to run for. So it had to teach you a lot about your grit and what you're capable of. A absolutely. I can remember my first long run because, you know, you had to squeeze in the miles before class or after class. And I think I remember one day I was, it was maybe a Saturday and I needed some miles to make up. And um, it was the first time I ran over 10 miles. I ran from the campus down along the main line to the border of Philadelphia. I mean, I think from Villanova to Philly, it was maybe 17 miles. Um, it was well over 10 miles. I ran to the town line and back. But I can just remember just floating, and I got into that groove and that zone, and uh, I surpassed my expectations. You know what I mean? It was just, I think that moment crystallized a lot for me, even though, quite frankly, I don't think I realized at the moment, you know, I made the team, et cetera. It was just a lot of fun. Like I say, there were a lot of other things going on in my life. But um, when I'm on my long run, I can still remember that day, you know, that feeling. Um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. But that opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I think I drew upon that experience, or I still draw upon that experience. Uh, particularly when I came back to running, you know, in my 40s, I think. Yeah, so it was cool. Great stuff to draw from the memory banks for sure. So your path, um, you take a pretty big gap with running and go on a totally different journey. Super interested to hear about it. Tell, tell us about it. Well, it's a lot to condense and a little short period of time. But like I said, when I was a freshman at Villanova and I was running, um, a lot of other things were going on in my life. And I was discovering music, possibly playing. I got a chance to play music through a set of fortuitous circumstances. Um, eventually I left Villanova and I went to transfer to CCNY working with an engineering firm in New York City, Siska and Hennessy. Um, but this music thing was bubbling under, you know, um, through another fortuitous set of circumstances. I ran to a 400-meter guy in New York City right across from my uh, building that I was working on. Um, he ran at Villanova. He's a 400-meter guy, and he was an usher at NBC. So we would meet, hang out for lunch, and I'd sneak into the 
RCA building and watch sessions being recorded, TV shows, and uh, my passion for music increased. And one day I went to 48th Street to Manny's. I bought a bass, and that was it. You know, I left the engineering career. I left school. Supported by my my family, they thought, you know, I, my dad was a little disappointed, but he said, listen, just take a year off. You can always go back. And then my journey started as a musician. Um, God, it's a long... <laughs> It's a long story. I left New York. I traveled. I ended up in London in 1980 when the whole post-punk thing was catching on. Um, I auditioned. I hung on. I went to gigs and eventually kind of worked my way up and became recognized. And then I got started getting calls from major artists to work with them either on videos or TV shows. And eventually I got the call from Johnny Rotten's manager, John Lydon's manager, um, asking if I was interested in joining Public Image Limited, where I'd spent six years, maybe seven, playing bass and writing music, touring the world, etc. cetera. Um, that came to a, an end. That's a rough lifestyle, and I don't know that it was for me in the end, and I came back to the States in the early 90s and uh, walked into a bike shop to buy a bike just to get some exercise. And through this time, you know, I was fairly fit. I didn't have a particular running regime or a cycling regime, but, you know, stage shows were pretty demanding. You had to be fit, and I certainly was energetic running around the stage you know, in our performances. <laughs> so, um, yeah, then I discovered mountain biking from this bike shop and with these young guys who were maybe 10, 15 years younger than me, some even more. And was pretty successful in mountain biking. Won a New England uh, sport title in my age group. I think it was 45. Started road riding cyclocross, and then one day I thought I would do a duathlon. This was earlier in my mountain biking, sort of early 90s, maybe by 95, 96. Um, it was a off-trail duathlon. It was run, bike, run. And uh, not having had any running experience at that time, you know, it was a big gap from, what, 1970, probably 20 years, or if not more, I started running, and I realized, oh, man, I can do this. Wait a minute. I forgot about this, you know, completely. And I did well on that race. And then, um, yeah, man, I was off to the races again. Um, started doing 5Ks, training, and it was, I, it was just a beautiful thing. Love it. That's an epic journey. Um, and you go away from something you love to pursue a new love, a new passion. And you experience it for 20 years, right? More or less. Yeah. And the touring life, it's a hard life, a demanding life, a physical yeah. life. Um, exhausting, you know, rehearsing, traveling, playing. Um, but you find your way back, starting with cycling first. And, you know, mountain biking, cyclocross, duathlon. And something about putting those shoes back on, man, something about getting out there, it reconnects with you, right? 
Oh, uh, totally. It was magic. And, you know, I just ended back up in Stratford where I grew up. And I would run those roads that were familiar to me and where I used to run cross country. The landscape had changed, but I mean, I live, you know, less than a quarter mile from that park right now. Um, yeah, it just came back naturally. And I just discovered not only my love for running and um, that I was still able to be competitive. And I would, like I say, I was entering 5Ks. Um, and then, you know, with the advent of the internet, then I started researching and looking into running groups and I would go to Van Cortland Park. I think I did a couple of cross-country things at Van Cortland and that's how I discovered Central Park Track Club. You know, one thing led to another. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a great renaissance to my running career. And, uh, Maybe because I didn't run in those years, my body's still pretty resilient, you know, and elastic. I haven't beaten myself up for 20 years or 30 years or whatever it is now. But yeah, uh, it came around full circle. Um, and now running is is what I do. You know, it's my, now that I'm retired, it's something I do for pleasure, for inspiration. And because I can't, really, you know. Um, unbeknownst to me, I have a wide range. I mean, I run from the 400 meter <laughs> to the marathon. And so it's kind of confusing to, to people and to me a little bit. But man, it's uh, it just comes natural, Ron. I don't know how to describe it, but I'm really thankful and blessed to be able to, you know, Last season, we were training at the Armory, and it just so happened the Masters Nationals were at the Armory, and I entered the 400, got a bronze medal. I am not a sprinter, but I still was able to run a 68 quarter at 71 years old. I mean, I ran 65 second quarter when I was 65. Um, I don't know. You know, it's it's a blessing. I'm so thankful to be to be doing this at this age and at this level, I guess. Um, for me, it's just trying to get the best out of myself and enjoy what I'm doing. So uh, I had run that marathon in New York in 2014 and building up to that in, in those uh, preceding years. Um, I like to get my bang for the buck. I don't know if I'm uh, a masochist or... I enjoy pain, but the thought of just running for a minute versus running for four hours, I'll take the four hours, uh, and that's just the way it is. You've got some amazing range, my friend. And uh, just personally, you're somebody I'm inspired by. Our 70s guys, our 70s women, the people that are still out there competing indoor or outdoor you know, it's one thing, but, you know, to have that range, as you said, to be able to roll 400 meters national sub 70, mm. it's crazy impressive. Um, but to still have the passion to want to take it the other end, you know, that's going to be fun for us to explore because um, I know about your amazing race up at Bay State in qualifying for Boston. Um, and I think it's our third fastest uh, 70 plus marathon time for our team. 
which you know on our team, being third best at something on our team is like being third best in the Olympics. I mean, that's the kind of caliber of runners we have for men and women. It's crazy um, the ca- the caliber of athletes we have that are competing for us and, and our historical stuff that's being done. Mm-hmm. So you're, I guarantee your 400 time has got to be better than third. I bet it's first, right? Um, no, we happen to have the world champion on our team too. <laughs> Uh, Austin Brown, so he ran 63, but he's an outlier. He's number one in the world. Austin, number one <laughs> in the world. It's, cra- it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I was ranked 10th in the world. He was ranked number one in the world, but he went to the, to the world outdoor and go- and medaled gold. And, and won he's gold. He's a world champion, yeah, so <clears throat> which I just, is awesome. Beyond awesome. Um, but I think um, – those years of cycling, cyclocross, mountain biking, road biking. I mean, you build enormous strength. I mean, you build enormous aerobic capacity and you're not beating on the body as much, you know, for that period of time. So developmentally, I think you were just tuning your body up to be able to be the runner that you are now. And are you still supplementing your training you know, now to this day, doing the mountain bike rides, doing road bike rides? Because I haven't talked about yeah. that with you. Well, um, not so much these days. I'm getting more more running time, but I do use the bike for cross training. But um, yeah, this whole thing of endurance sports, you know, I discovered these things individually as time went on, the, from the running to the biking, et cetera. Um, I didn't know there was such a thing as endurance sports, but... Um, I came across the ultra marathoners in my journey, um, and I was fascinated by that. And that's something that resonates deep inside me. This whole thing of the freedom of the human, just running. We're animals that are built to do this, and um, yeah, I think the bike kind of saved me, saved my legs, but it also helped me develop my aerobic capacity. And I think that's pretty important to this day. But just the the mentality and the mindset of an endurance athlete, it's pretty phenomenal. And it's something that appeals to me. And, uh, and I think that's why the marathon appeals to me as a, from all the, foot races that exist it's something magical and something really iconic about this distance and the lure and fascination of it um is really strong and overwhelming and it certainly captivated me i mean in my build up to new york in 2014 i realized that i was structurally strong enough to compete, to run a marathon. And it was just the getting the speed work and the intensity enough to sustain this at a fairly decent pace as opposed to just jogging at home. Um, and uh, once I did that, my thirst was not quenched. Um, I ran a couple of ultra marathons. 50Ks, I did Cape Cod Trail Race and the Forbidden Forest Trail Race in Connecticut, which is about five hours and change running in the trails. And that combined my cross-country skills, my mountain biking skills, 
and my foot racing skills all in one. And that's a pretty awesome thing to do. And uh, that led me up to uh, trying this running my age <laughs> thing that you you and I both know about. Um, I don't know where that popped into my head in the mid-2010s, I guess. Um, yes, I had this idea. Well, I was going to run 65 miles on my 65th birthday or that weekend. And um, I just divided it into chunks of 10 miles. And it seemed doable. And, uh, you know, I just popped into Google Maps and I put uh, my address on the Lower East Side to Stratford, Connecticut, walking. I don't remember how many days or hours it said. <laughs> but, you know, basically it was... Um, I lived on the Lower East Side, so I went straight up First Avenue from Delancey all the way to the Bronx. And that was about 10 miles. Hung a right. It's Route 1. So straight to Connecticut, almost to my house, you know what I mean, where I, where I live now. Um, yeah, so that was an accomplishment. It was a feat, and uh, it tested my resilience, not only physically, but the mental game. And that's, I think... It's a part of this sport that is, I wouldn't say necessarily overlooked, but underestimated. Because, you know, we put in the work. We put in these miles, we log these miles every week or every month. But believing in your training, believing in your ability to do it on the day or on, you know, that one day or that that particular time, it's... uh. It's a lot of self-belief, self-confidence, but knowing that you put in the work gets you there. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of lessons learned. It's just a metaphor for life, I guess. Self-belief and mindset, powerful stuff. Um, 65 miles on your 65th, total respect. Um, I'm a huge fan, as are you, of Tommy Rives. I'm a huge fan of Goggins. I don't know if you are, but mindset is like the untapped area. Um, doesn't matter what sport we're competing in. Um, I think that's what people overlook about Kipchoge all the time. They want to know how he trains. They want to know what pace he runs at. They completely miss the point that this guy is a master of mindset and humble humility and reading and learning and focusing his mind on whatever task he's going to try to accomplish and channels all of that into will and performs on the day. Um, but so much of what he's able to do isn't just his gifts or genetics or his hard work physically with his teammates. It's about his mindset and his practice and his incredibly strong belief of continuing to hammer away in Tokyo when the heat got hottest from 35K on and he's dropping as fast as 5K and just waving goodbye to people. So for you, You've been honing that mindset all the way along the journey, and there's no doubt it makes you a better athlete, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, not to say I or any of us have don't have weaknesses, but you know, when you become focused in an honest and realistic way. It's mind over matter. 
we know that physically we're capable of doing this, but the test is actually doing it. And so this focus, you know, it makes it easy in a sense because you know uh you're 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 living it you're in the zone you're focused you've rehearsed it many times in your mind to workouts to practice it's the same thing with performing on stage you know and at that moment in time if you can cut out all the distractions and channel your focus and your energy in a realistic way i'm not talking about going out at the Boston Marathon with the lead group when when you've only done 30 miles a week, you know, but realistically, um, it's a release. I think it's, you know, the joy of the performance as opposed to, you know, all the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears is in the training. It's in laying out, making sure you have all the right components in your training and build up, make sure the body's right, diet's right, sleep, et cetera. The rest of it, it's just laser-like focus, um, and it just reveals itself, I think. You know, at least that's how it works for me. It's pretty awesome. Don't always get it right, but when it works, it's just phenomenal. I mean, that day in Bay State, I don't know how I did it. It was just focus, and I just trusted everything. I hit my paces. And it worked out, and I had nothing left when I crossed that line. I was amazed. It was uh, it was a beautiful experience. Yeah, yeah. You tapped into all of it, and I love yeah. how you brought the music in. You know, kind of as an analogy, because performing at any level, whether you're a pianist, uh, a bass player, a mm -hmm. singer, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We rehearse over and over again a song numbers conditions yeah. what's the audience going to be like what's the acoustics like whatever these variables are the room we go through them over and over again if you are a musician if you're a runner you got to put yourself into that cauldron and see out are you running 50k are you running a half mm. marathon are you running a mile where you're going to destroy yourself and just be in pain from you know, pretty much the first 400 meters on yeah. and then suffering more as you go, but you have to break it down. As you talked about in your 65 mile run along the way, you had it in 10 mile sections. Well, in that race, what is the race going to require from you? Mm -hmm. It's going to require X number of miles per week to build your base. It's going to require a certain number of miles at marathon pace or faster mm -hmm. so you can handle it that day. Mm -hmm. What's going to require on the fueling side? Are you practicing that? Yes. And if you have and you can check those boxes, what's left? The mental piece. Is Alan ready? Is Ron ready? Have I done the work? When you can look at yourself in that mirror a day before, two days before, and you know you've done it, then you're ready to go. Yeah. But you've also rehearsed, back to your musical thing, you didn't just rehearse the day going well. You rehearsed, hey, this is going to hurt. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to struggle. So preparing yourself for that, and believe it or not, it might be 10K into a marathon where you're already getting a side stitch or you're having some trouble breathing or... Fluids aren't going down as well. Maybe you're having some digestive issues, but you put yourself in that space mentally and you prepare for these speed bumps that are going to come at you so when they do at Bay State, you're ready. So 
when that stuff happened at Bay State, you'd already rehearsed it in your head. You'd been through yeah. it, right? Abs absolutely. Um, you know, it always comes a time when you're like, oh, what's this thing in my knee? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, like, you know, and just not panicking and like, this will go away. This is fine. I mean, obviously, there are times when, as you and I both know, there are circumstances beyond your control that you have to stop or pull out. But all things going well, I mean, given that the body holds up, you don't have any stomach issues, there's still problems along the way that you have to solve. It's just like if I'm performing Tuesday night in Indianapolis and it's raining and I'm feeling like, oh, well, this is not going to be an enthusiastic crowd. I still have to go out there and give it my all. You know, the kids might respond, they might not, but you get in return what you put out, you know? So the parallel in running is it's, you get out of it what you put in, you see? So you have these environmental circumstances you know, like the room, the audience, whether enthusiastic or not, you might get a cold, a rainy day, and you just have to deal, the show must go on. But my thing is, if I'm prepared, the actual race becomes a performance. And, you know, you have to deal with all the variables, but it's a performance, man. It's all that hard work all the hours put in and all the planning, you get to shine. And for me, it's a beautiful day. Even when I ran New York in trying circumstances with all the headwind in 2014, I had to go to the bathroom. Still, man, I accepted it. I didn't let it get into my head, you know, um, and just pushed on. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's just a beautiful thing. I love that outlook. Um, it'll set anybody up for success because he doesn't have the blinders on. Um, I've never had the blinders on. I know what I'm getting into the minute that gun goes off in a marathon. I know what's in front of me. Um, and there's pitfalls everywhere. But if you have a positive approach and you feel you've done your work and you're prepared, when these speed bumps come up and somebody crashes into you or maybe knocks a bottle out of your hand or whatever, you know, instead of feeling like the world's against you and, you know, you're having a shitty day, you know, man, just find somebody in the crowd, man. Make eye contact, smile. Find some other runner out there that isn't in a shitty mood, that is feeling good, and give them a high five, man. Exchange some good energy because we were suffering big time in New York this year. Yep. People saw my pictures like, how the hell did you have so much fun out there? I said, because it's a gift to run. Did I suffer? Hell yeah. Did I get cramps from the Willis Avenue bridge on? Yes. Did they hurt? Oh yeah. But you better believe when I rolled through, you know, the Bronx and I saw those boys over there to the side of the road under the bridge, I was going to light them up and give them everything I had. And when I got to the wall of orange, they got every last ounce of energy I yeah, had because- we saw, we saw you come through. <laughs> because how lucky are we? To have our friends out there on the course cheering for us, like knowing our name, giving us love and, you know, helping to sustain us at the, at the back end of those races, man. We're, we're lucky guys, man, right? We're blessed. Absolutely. I mean, there's no time for pity and feeling sorry because this is an absolute blessing 
to be able to do this, um, just to get out the door every day. So many people who can't. So many people who maybe want to, but they just, whatever their circumstances, can't do it. You know, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, economical, because they have to work and they can You know, this is such a blessing. It's such a gift. And believe me, even in the darkest times, we can draw from the people around us. When these, these big races that we do, the energy and the vibe will help sustain us. And you can draw from that. You can draw from that because it's you're putting out and you get back. You're putting out and you get back. It's remarkable. You know, how does the saying go? Um, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts. I forget how that saying goes, but the human connection is so valuable. The difference between running like this and running open, you know, closed or open, it's phenomenal. It's a power that we can tap into that will sustain us. It's the belief and faith in humanity, Ron. It's, I mean, look at Viv's story. You know, the outpouring of energy and just, it works. Whether you believe it or not, it works. And this is a magical, magical thing. Um, yeah, I can't, it's just hard to even encompass in a, in a discussion here. It's just such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful thing. When we all get together and we, and we race and we celebrate life and we celebrate achievement yeah it gives me it gives me goosebumps man i mean <laughs> it's awesome man. it is it's a beautiful thing man and you couldn't have said it better and um like i said we're blessed we're lucky um and i think at some point you know when you get to master's age which is at 40 and you know we're certainly you know so far past that at some point, we start to think about our legacies a little bit, whatever it might be. How do we interact with the community? How do we give back? What do we share? And, you know, I never lose sight of that when I'm mm. out there, whether I'm having my worst race from what my own goal or time might have been, what I hope to achieve that day. I never lose sight of that because somebody might be listening to my show, hearing your amazing story. Somebody might follow me as a runner because I did all six majors in a year. Uh, somebody might know Central Park Track Club team and be thinking, hey, maybe I'll join these guys. And then if they see me out there running in Central Park and I don't have a smile on or I don't wave to somebody who says hello, like it costs you nothing to just be a good human being yeah. and to just share a smile and just say hello to people when you're rolling by them on the run or just say, hey man, good morning, good afternoon, how are you? Like I just know that you know, I've gotten back so much more from everyone. I'm going to be my 72nd marathon coming up in Tokyo. I've gotten back so much more from the sport than I could ever repay. So that's what my, that's why this show is here, man, to, to share stories like yours. Because when I put that post up about you being third in the club and qualifying by Boston for, I don't even remember, please tell me how many minutes you beat your Boston qualifier. About time. 25. 25 minutes. Um, you saw the comments. You saw the responses from these are, this is our New York City running community. There's a people are weighing in that are in their 30s or in their 40s or 50s. That's who I want to be when I grow up. Total badass, beast, amazing. Like that makes me really happy because 
yeah, it's impressive as hell. It's super impressive because a lot of people are like still trying to tell me, oh, dude, why don't you hang up your marathon shoes? I'm like, I don't think so. You know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. Like if somebody wants to fish and that makes them really happy, go fish. You love to paint, paint. You know, you want to go walk your dog on the trails and we can do what you got to do. But we all know Goggins always talks about that inner voice, man. We have an inner voice. And I know Rivs is so similar to Goggins, how they think and how tough they are and how they could persevere through the worst of it. Mm. That inner voice has guided you a long way in life, man. Musically, walk on to Villanova, into cycling, into running ultra, and now doing all the things you're doing. So keep listening to it, man, because it's got you, it's taken you a long way. Ab absolutely, man. Um it's a path that one has to choose in listening to that voice because God knows there are distractions all the way. We have to make these choices. Being true to oneself and being in it for the good of all concerned is what gives back because you're tapping into that source of energy. Listen, I mean, the running community as a whole, maybe we're, a very insular kind of humanity, but you look at the successful people and the people who are enjoying this experience, they're affecting people outside of the surrounding community. People of all walks of life and all different pursuits are tapping into these people because it's a universal message. It applies to all aspects of life. And so just running or cycling or sports or entertainment or politics or science. But we all can be inspired by these stories and by these achievements. Um, and these achievements and stories can inspire others outside of it. You know, it's a human experience, man. What's uh, you have faith in the human spirit uh, and you are true to yourself, I think you'll make the right decisions in life or the decisions that will put you on a path to be with your people or your, do you know what I'm saying? It's um, like attracts like. You put yourself in this positive, nurturing, quizzical, environment and the right people come into your life it's just about you or the right things come into your life the right decisions it's about being attuned to yourself to be able to see it you know because god knows how many boats we've missed along the way right um instead of ruining the fact man you know i missed this opportunity i missed that opportunity just keep your eyes open and your spirit clear and it will happen. I truly believe that. No question. So well said. And yeah, like I said, um, when people see somebody like you crushing a BQ by that amount, and someone who hasn't been focused or practiced, your practice hasn't been focused on marathoning, you know, it's not like this is what you've been doing exclusively or extensively for a while. Um, it really gets people's attention. And it has the ability to inspire and move them. So I know 
it's the question I ask every single person. Like, where does your fire and drive come? Your spirit? Clearly you have it in abundance. But I want to know deeper than that because I know it's there in you and resonates in you. For that race at Bay State, specifically with an eye on Boston, was there like something bigger that was driving you the way you wanted to run that 65 miles on your birthday? And maybe you hadn't deconstructed it, but was there something bigger like, hey man, I want to prove to myself that I can do this at this age or something? Was there something underneath it there that was really making it more meaningful? That's a great question. I've never broken it down like that. Um, I mean, the fact that I went from bronze medal indoor in March, a third place, you know, in the 400 to that October <laughs> running <laughs> a sub four marathon, a lot happened. Um, I think my love for running in general was the base of this and this thing I have about bang for the buck that played into it. But, you know, a funny thing, I went to uh, Boston that subsequent April to, uh, to see the Boston Marathon for myself. In that time, I was reading books by Bill Rogers, uh, who put me back into my New England roots. Uh, it was a whole sort of stream of consciousness that came through. And um, I know Bill Rogers had mentioned he, the year he won Boston, I think the first time he ran Bay State. And so, and so I happened to go back to Boston after I watched this marathon and was running with some people. We ran from the finish line, with Tracksmith, if I can say that. We ran from the finish line to the beginning of Heartbreak Hill to the store at the bottom, right, and back. And I was talking to people, and they said, you should run Bay State. I'm like, oh. So I don't, this is not magic or hocus pocus, but my inspiration was my New England running routes, the people who came before me, in the place where I discovered running, in that same geographical location, to this mythical race that just epitomizes marathoning, um, I drew from all that. And so this qualifier was early enough that I could, if I, if I failed, I could go back and do it again, but I wanted to nail it. So I worked hard and precise steps to do what I needed to do and my diet, my hydration, my nutrition. And um, to me, it was a magical moment. I, I don't know if I could ever run a marathon that, not necessarily just comfortable, but that focused and that everything worked. You know what I mean? The day was right, the weather. I mean, it could have been horrible weather. But um, I drew from all this. I drew from my heritage, I guess, my running heritage. Um, yeah, and whatever was going to happen was going to happen correctly because I believed in it. I believed, believed, believed. And I, 
I assume I was well prepared. My coach prepared me well. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at with this. That's all I can say right now. Answered beautifully, my friend. Coach Tony Ruiz, little shout out to Coach Tony. Big, uh, we all big fans of Tony's. And um, no, it's beautifully said. I mean, you tapped into what mattered to you. Um, and that's what I talk about on the show all the time. If someone else wants to qualify for the Olympic trials and you don't, that's not going to get you out of bed in the morning at 4.30. That's not going to make you run all those crazy workouts and miles because it's got to be your passion, your fire, your dream. It has to be what's going to ignite you, not someone else, not another training partner, not your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. So for you, your New England roots are strong. You know, that's where you started to run. That's where you cut your teeth. So tapping into Amby and Bill Rogers and that whole crew and Bill did win Bay State, you know, back in the day. So like you can't ask for more. And then going on a run with Tracksmith is always a good idea because those runs are awesome. I mean, not only does it have all sorts of levels of runners from super elite to just, you know, completely people that have never even run a marathon or even dreaming of it. They're hoping they can do one one day. So you get that cross-section of personalities and mix of people and that alchemy, which is just awesome. Um, but when you're tapping into all that stuff and then you lay out your program and you pull it all together, it sets you up for success, which is what I kind of knew already. Um, and the fact that you haven't had the chance to run it yet, damn, dude, I'm excited for you, man. I am so excited because, you know, I'm blessed that I'm coming up on number 11 Boston and, you know, running the 99th and the 100th. Yeah. And, you know, like so much of my running life and my true passion for the sport comes from running those miles on that course, preparing to run that, that ritual of preparing to qualify yeah. for Boston. So I'm so excited for you, for you to get to live this, uh, live this dream and then see what else is going to light the fire as strongly as that, because very few things can ignite a passion like that. That weekend in Boston Having been out there on the course and watched the race is one thing, but to roll into that expo and pick your bib number up, and remember, I saw you last year getting my bib, like to pick your bib and have your bib there and just know that in a day or in two days, yeah. you're going to be on that bus to Hopkinton and you're going to roll into that yeah. village and you're going to have those butterflies walking down that street to get into the corral. I'm so excited for yeah, you. Yeah, I could feel it now. Thank you. Um, yeah, I do remember that. We ran into each other. Um, it's just magical. I just can't put it into words. Um, like It's like I'm on a path that's leading to that. You know, I did New York because I wanted the experience. I, I, I watched New York City Marathon for years roll by my uh, office on that Sunday in November, and uh, I just run out there and watch the runners come through. And that energy made me think, wow, I should be able to do this because, you know, I wasn't a marathoner. I mean, I'm a miler. Um, and I put in the work and qualified and uh, entered, was accepted, and I ran it, and it's just a remarkable experience. And... Um, it's the same thing with Boston. I went there to watch it, and it just drew me in and drew me in and drew me in.
And uh, right then on the spot, I knew I had to qualify. I had to try to get in as I wanted. To, I want that experience, regardless of the weather, regardless of the time. I want to run down those roads that have been run hundreds of races, right? Um, yeah, I want that experience, man. It's like, that's the stage I want to be on. I want to, it's like walking into a Carnegie Hall for a violinist, you know. The great thing about this sport is that we get to run on the same track, the same roads, the same course as the best in the world, as the best of all time. That course has been there what, what number? 127 this there year. There you go. And, so we're, when I, and we're going to be sharing the road with who? <laughs> well, <laughs> this year it's going to be amazing. But, you know, to run those roads, as a, you know, I read all kind of history books about the marathon, and I got drawn in and drawn in, and all these stories and all these experiences. And, man, even if I have to walk it <laughs> that day, you know, I want to be there and I want to experience that with the crowd yelling and screaming and getting that energy back with all those runners you know man what a what a special thing we have available to us at this point in time of our lives or any runner at any time in their lives you know it's not just about obsessing about the pace or these seconds per mile no 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 it's about the experience here you get on that road gun goes off boom right <laughs> i get high thinking about that i'm floating right now thinking about that it's just yeah man it's something else well i can feel your energy for <laughs> it and it's only going to build more because you'll be back up there this year watching us and then to be there a second time and we'll go up. I, I invited you this morning to come up. We do a run called the Hop 21 Run, where we we bus out from the top of Boston College back to Hopkinton, and we run the first 21 miles on a weekend when the Boston Marathon officials have kind of coordinated with local towns along the way. A lot of the charity teams are out there running. It's just a wonderful opportunity to run that first 21 miles of the course and feel it. Not everyone runs the whole 21. Some people run certain sections of it, but... Um, the local Boston celebrities, the Ambies, the Bill Rogers, uh, you know, they're there, you know, they'll come out on that day. They'll come join us in the bar when it's over and hang out. And it's, uh, it's just another thing about our, uh, running community, which is magic. Like you say, I mean, you can't hang out with Derek Jeter and have batting practice. Yeah. I mean, not unless you're like own the Yankees or something. I mean, but as runners, we can't, you know, we can get a chance to hang with Kipchoge. We can get a selfie, you know, with Sarah Hall or some other great runner we look up to. And um, it's just, it's just super, super cool. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. It's just what I was going to, what I was saying before, you know, this is something I've been thinking about for the last six months or maybe since October when I did qualify, I wanted to run the first section of that. And I've been thinking about, I need to reach out to people and see if there's a, any kind of organized run from Hopkinton, at least the first 10 miles, I wanted to run that this this year, uh, this spring. And I walk up to you. <laughs> it's one of the first things you told me. It's like, yeah, I'm in the right place. 
<laughs> no, no doubt, my friend. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get to our last couple here. Um, so, mindset during races, mantras. Do you use any specific mantras, or what do you try to focus on? You know, when you're out there in the grind. Um, no, I don't have any particular mantras like one foot in front of the other, all that kind of thing. But I think, generally speaking, my approach at the height of the suffering and the threshold where I'm about to collapse or continue is I break it into realistic chunks, I think, whether it's the next mile, whether it's the next quarter mile, um, just get to this point, just get to that point. And you're kind of tricking yourself, but it's a little test and a challenge. All right, just get to this next mile. Okay, I'm here. Now, okay, do another one, do another one, do another one. I think it's as simple as that for me in a generalistic sense. It's just get to the next point, get to the next point. You can do this. It's doable. You've done it in practice. Your mind's telling you, hey, dude, you are, <laughs> you need to stop. You know, your legs are screaming. <gasps> You're at total oxygen debt. Like, stop, stop. He's like, no, no, don't believe that. I can do this. Just one more mile, one more step. Yeah. Staying present, so important, man. Absolutely. Great advice. How about darkest hole you've ever dug out of in running or non-running life? I mean, I don't think I've had too many dark moments in running i mean certainly there are times i want to stop whether it's a workout or a race etc cetera, etc cetera. but all that pales to um when i was telling you about my time in the music business where i just had enough i think um realizing that i had to step away from music and the lifestyle and the partying and the staying up late, et cetera, et cetera. I was just burnt out. And I think physically, spiritually, I think I was empty. It, I wasn't able to capture that magic and keep it on a positive note. And um, to be able to say, okay, I need to walk away from this, put my hands up. It's probably the darkest moment in my life. And uh, I'm very proud of my resilience and getting back up. It did not, I was, I'm not the kind of person that um, what I do makes me who I am. You know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I am that person. And, uh, yeah, to become a regular, normal citizen um, and lead a normal life and then start progressing. I mean, I was very thankful for that. But yeah, that, that was a tough time in my life and I was able to rebound. Uh, and I think I'm better, certainly much better for it. Last two quick ones. Community service, something that's important to you, something you like to do to give back in any way. Yeah, I've been um, well aware of what I've done in running and endurance sports, how it's affected 
people and friends and family and the people around me. Um, with my cycling, I know I, I started volunteering to help set up courses for the kids and the juniors um, in a local cyclocross group in Connecticut. And um, I'm very encouraging to the younger kids who ask me about my running. Um, I'm trying to look for a way to plug in, even though I'm not a um, USATF coach, you know, certified, but giving advice to kids and encouraging them, I think is very important. And I realize maybe there's, I have more to give than I think, and that it's much appreciated more than I would think. But um, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for, for those kind of situations. Um, helping to coach the younger kids. Uh, I'm always started getting kids asking me for advice. So I'm very open and uh, welcoming to that. But yeah, it's something I think more, I think about more and more as people learn about me and my story. Cause I'm just, I'm just a guy who runs man right now. And uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, I think it's very important. Love it. We all have to give back more. That's why I always end the segments here. And I just say, man, it's been so fun having you on and getting to do this in person makes it so much more impactful for both of us. Do you have any last words to share with anybody on the way out? Any last message here before we before we roll out? Well, actually, I'd like to say thank you for your enthusiasm, Ron. Um, since the day I met you, man, you've been so enthusiastic and I've followed you know, you're on social media, and I think you're a positive force. What you're doing here with this podcast, what you're doing in your own personal running life, um, and the way you've affected and impacted people all around the world, I think it's a beautiful thing. It certainly inspired me. I want to thank you very, very much, okay? Oh, man. That, That's on record. <laughs> that means a lot, man. You have no idea how much that means, and I uh, so appreciate, appreciate it. And, um, I just can't wait for people to hear your story, Alan. It's, uh, I know it's going to move a needle. Um, I know how impressed people were when I posted those stories about you crushing your BQ. And uh, I just look forward to people uh, learning about your journey, man, and everything you've accomplished. Uh, it's super inspiring stuff. So thanks so much for coming out to Jersey and sitting down and rocking this thing with me and sharing, uh, sharing your amazing journey, brother. It's much appreciated. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Now we can run. Yes, we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna go hit the the waterfront here. Well, we close out every episode. Of course, we tell the runners to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, this convo was just so much fun, and I am so appreciative of the incredible positive energy enthusiasm and joy for life that Alan has, and is just so abundant to everyone in his presence and and certainly for the wisdom shared from his amazing journey. Um, it's just been fun following him. Um, he just inspires so many people, not only in our team, but in the local New York City running community, certainly um, for Central Park Track Club as well. He was nominated for New York Roadrunners, uh, Runner of the Year in the H70 plus category. Um, and that just shows you uh, the level of respect, his performances command. 
Um, this was just a fun conversation and I enjoyed it so much. And I learned so much more about Alan and I hope you are inspired. I hope everybody out there at home that has maybe thought, Hey, I could never qualify for Boston. Um, it's just a mark I could never accomplish or achieve to see him go out and just crush that goal at age 71 with 25 minutes to spare. It's just, uh, it's downright amazing and obviously inspiring as hell. So um, I hope you all can pull lots from this conversation. I hope you'll give Alan a follow um, to be inspired, and I hope you'll share it with lots of folks um, who need uh, just to find some uh, positive energy to focus on their training this time of the year. It can be really tough um, today's weather in New York City as I'm recording this intro. It's below zero out. Um, and with the wind chill, it's colder than that up in Vermont. I think it's like minus 38 where my son's at. So these temps and cold weather, man, they can drag us down and they can really hit our mind mindset hard. Um, so hopefully listening to Alan's uh, positive energy and story, uh, we'll pick everyone up and give everybody a shot in the arm and help everybody move forward uh, and keep getting out the door, as we always say. And keep getting it done, my friends. So uh, if you're inspired by this one and you can hop on Apple Podcasts for a moment and do a quick review, it means the world to me. It, uh, it helps us grow our reach, get more listeners. And most importantly, it uh, makes great guests like Alan comfortable to come on and share their stories. So for anyone who's done that or uh, is thinking of doing that, it means the world to me. So keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And I hope to see you all out there on the World Marathon Majors Tour this year as I'm running around the world, man. Peace out, my friends. Stay after it. <laughs>